Luke 4, 14 to 30. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today's scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was sent, sorry, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zaphareth in the region of Sidon. And there were many Israel with, in, sorry, many in Israel with leprosy. In the time of Elijah, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Amen. Thank you. Well, let's pray now before we get into God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would guide us through this morning's passage. And uh, we pray that your spirit would be working in each of our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's one of the most famous cruise liners to have ever sailed the seas and it was deemed to be unsinkable. In fact, before its maiden voyage, Philip Franklin, uh, the vice president of the company that owned this amazing ship, was quoted as saying, there is no danger that the Titanic will sink, the boat is unsinkable. 
Well, as you'd be aware, confidence was high on the 10th of April, 1912, as one of the largest and most luxurious cruise ships ever to be built left Southampton, Southampton, England, on its way to New York with 2,200 uh, guests and crew on board. However, all this changed just a few days later on the 14th of April when it hit a submerged iceberg and its hull was damaged in five different places. All of a sudden, without warning, this ship that so many had put their faith in was beginning to sink. And even as the news reached the captain, quite soon after it happened, the captain refused to believe what was going on. He was confident the ship was unsinkable. So blinded by his confidence that he refused to believe their advice, their warning. In fact, it wasn't until the water in the mailroom was around ankle deep that the captain finally began to believe that the ship was sinking. Why didn't he heed the warning? Because he refused to believe that this supposedly unsinkable ship could possibly fail, that it could possibly go down. And sadly, because of his stubbornness, ships that were in the area, ships that could have been called to come and assist the people, weren't called until it was too late. And so because of the captain's stubbornness, his hardness of heart to believe that that ship could be sunk, he and 1,500 crew and guests perished that night. He refused to heed the warning and his blindness led to destruction. Throughout the generations from Abraham all the way down to Christ, God gave his people, Israel, warnings of his judgment. These warnings were often given through the prophets. And while sometimes it caused his people to repent in sackcloth and ashes, other times these messages of judgment only caused Israel to harden their hearts all the more. Like the captain of the Titanic, Israel refused to believe that God's warnings could apply to them. They believed they were unsinkable. They were descendants of Abraham. Surely God would always accept them no matter what. And so instead of being teachable and being shaped by God's word, the scriptures, they hardened their hearts. Is there a danger that we too could at times be unwilling to meet God on his terms? Is our understanding of who God is still being challenged by his word? When God's word challenges our understanding of who we are or who he is, do we allow that word being spoken into our lives to shape our understanding? Or do we choose tradition, the way we've always done things, the way we've always understood things, to rule our minds and hearts? Are we meeting God on his terms and not on ours? Are we accepting the one he sent on the terms that he sent him?
In this morning's passage, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. As you remember, last week he was out in the wilderness being tempted by Satan and just after the temptation, he was brought into the region of Galilee. And while many throughout the region of Galilee were excitedly embracing the good news of Jesus, we see in this morning's passage Jesus being rejected by the people of his own hometown in Nazareth. So in verses 14 to 22, the word of God brings joy to all the people. While in Nazareth, his own hometown, Jesus went down to the local synagogue on the Sabbath. And while he was there, he stood up to give the reading. And he was handed the scroll which had the prophet Isaiah, the writings of the prophet Isaiah. <clears throat> now you can imagine Jesus would have been well known in this synagogue. After all, it was his local synagogue. He'd grown up in this town. It's quite likely that the locals would have all known who he was and respected him for his godly character. And so taking the scroll, Jesus unrolled it and got to the point where it says, Isaiah, where it got to the chapter, I suppose, where it said Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. And he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. As Jesus made his way back to his seat, all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. In our Western culture, uh, we tend to stand up when we're preaching or teaching, as I am now, but in Jewish culture, it was quite common for rabbis to sit down and have all of their disciples leaning in to hear a word of wisdom from them. Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And as they heard these words, all the people were amazed at the gracious words that Jesus was saying to them. But not long after, they began to say, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, from the Gospel of Luke, it's a little bit hard to understand their motive. Were they saying this because they were impressed? How could Joseph's son be giving us such words of graciousness and wisdom? Or were they saying, what right does he have to speak to us like this? But when we have a look over in Mark's Gospel, Mark says that they said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simeon and Simon? Aren't his brothers here with us? And they took offence at him. At first, the word of God was as sweet as honey to their ears. As a nation oppressed by Rome, they really liked the message. They liked the idea of being set free of being given sight, of being given hope. But even though they loved the message, they just couldn't accept this message from the lips of Jesus, someone who they'd seen grow up in their own town. They weren't willing to accept God's word on his terms. 
They saw him as fully man, but they refused to see him as fully God. They had confidence in their father Abraham, but they had no confidence in Jesus. And so they started to become offended by this good news because they hated the idea of being saved by Jesus. In verses 23 to 30, the word of God offends the pride of all the people. As the people began to become offended by Jesus' words, Jesus, as he often did, ratcheted that up a little bit. He said, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Jesus was saying, well, you might be saying nice things about me now. The time will come when you will demand signs and wonders. And he said these words that we're sure we've all heard before. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. This message would have been hard for the people in the synagogue, the local Nazarenes, to accept coming from the lips of Jesus. They'd seen him grown up as a child. They had seen him working with his earthly dad, Joseph. And now they were hearing him tell them that he is the Lord's anointed, that he had come to proclaim the good news of God. It would have been hard for them to accept, but not as hard as what he was about to say in verses 25 to 27. There he ratchets it up quite a bit more. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in, Egypt, in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Jesus was reminding these this Jewish people, these Jewish people in the synagogue, he was reminding them of a time when Elijah and Elisha, God's prophets, had been sent not to Israel, but to the Gentiles. The widow in Zarephath wasn't a Jew. In fact, she didn't even worship the Lord. The land she lived in was in severe drought and she and her son were in such a bad state they were about to eat their last bit of food and then die. And yet when Elijah asked her to trust the Lord beyond what she could see, she placed her life and the life of her son in the hands of God. And the Lord delivered them. Naaman, well, Naaman wasn't a Jew. He wasn't even a man of great faith, as we saw from the kids' chapter. He didn't worship the Lord. And worse than that, he was the commander of the Assyrian army, one of Israel's greatest enemies. And yet Naaman, when he dipped himself in the Jordan River, the same river that Jesus would later be baptised in, because Elijah had told him to, his leprosy was cured. Jesus was saying, 
You, Israel, have hardened your hearts. You will not hear the word of God. You will not accept it on God's terms. And so it is starting to go out to the Gentiles. The idea that the Gentiles might hear and believe the word of God before Israel was so offensive to the people that they became furious. Jesus was saying, you believe that you're saved through being a descendant of Abraham. You don't see your good need for the good news of Jesus. And so you reject it, just like Israel had done in the past many times before. In Romans 9.33, the Lord says, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. What was that rock? That rock is Jesus. Jesus was a stumbling block to Israel. They would not receive his message. God's people were applying God's word to other nations rather than themselves. They wanted to apply his warnings to the Gentiles. And Jesus warning them to look in their own hearts instead of pointing all the bad news towards the Gentiles. When the people in the synagogue heard this, well, they were absolutely furious. And so they drove Jesus out of the town with a plan to try and push him off the cliff. But in an act of incredible sovereignty, Jesus walked through this angry mob as though nothing had happened and went on his way. As we hear these words this morning, are we guilty of applying God's warnings to others instead of sitting under them ourselves? Are there areas, things in Scripture that we find too challenging, too hard for us to accept? So we either don't read them or we cringe every time we hear them read. Have we been letting God's word wash over us without allowing it to shape our lives? The truth of the gospel is meant to be offensive. It is offensive to our pride. It is offensive to every bit of confidence we have in ourselves because it requires us to trust solely in Christ. The good news that Jesus came to save sinners implies that we ourselves are sinners and that we cannot save ourselves. The good news is gracious and kind. It is sweet as honey to our ears, but it is also a terrifying bit of news for anyone who does not repent and see their need for a saviour who doesn't see their total inability to save themselves. We all need to be constantly being shaped and reformed into the likeness, into the image of Christ. No matter how long we've been a Christian, we still need to be sitting under God's word. We need to continue submitting our understanding of who God is and who we are to him. This isn't going to happen naturally. It doesn't happen as we grow older. 
It doesn't happen just from sitting in a pew or a comfy blue chair. It doesn't happen through worldly experience. It only happens through the work of the Holy Spirit as we sit under God's word, as we soften our hearts, as we are teachable, as we meet God on his terms and not on ours. Jesus didn't come to say what we want to hear. He didn't come to please mankind. He came to save us from ourselves and to save us from the judgment that he would inevitably have placed on us as Lord, Judge and King. And so as we hear these words this morning, as we see our Lord being rejected by those who should have heard his message and accepted this good news, those who should have accepted God's word on God's terms. May we search our own hearts and lives. May we be shaped by God's word. May the way we have always done things not be our reason for doing things here in our church, at home, in our lives and in our community. May the way we have always understood God's word not be our reason for believing because we are stuck in a rut. May our hearts be teachable disciples of Christ so that his word and his spirit would be speaking into our lives. May we be searching the scriptures, seeking God's will as we take different steps as a church, as we make decisions in our businesses, in our homes, in our lives. May we be seeking to be disciples of Christ so that our hope and confidence in the gospel would be grounded in God's word and illuminated by the Holy Spirit so that those who don't yet know him, our friends and our family, those in our community, might see our hearts for Jesus and want to know him as well. Let's come before the Lord now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have not always been willing to let go of the ways that we have always done things, that we have not always been willing to let go of the way we have always understood things. We have not always been willing to accept you on your terms. Lord, this morning we recognise that we have nothing to bring to you, that all we bring to you is filthy rags. But Lord, we thank you that through the life, death and resurrection of your one and only Son, you loved us so much that you have given us life and hope and joy through his resurrection and the hope of our resurrection after we die or when he returns. And Lord, we pray that as we go throughout the coming week, we would be people of the word, people who search your word for wisdom, people who sit under it and consider it our highest authority. And Lord, we, we pray this in the name of Jesus.
Amen.